Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Podcast. My name is Andrew Frezza, and today's episode is a part two of an interview that I did with Chris Thorndike of Live Athletic and Factory Forged. Part one was posted about two weeks ago on the Seven Figure Box Podcast, so I'd recommend starting with that. But in today's episode, the part two, we dive in how Chris built his gym from afar. He was living in one part of Florida while his gym was growing and existing in another part of Florida. We also talk about how to work with family as Chris has owned his gym with both his brother as well as his new wife, Stephanie. We also talk about how to be more productive and how to attack each day and each week. And we talk about the value of having mentors and some of Chris's favorite resources. So enjoy part two with Chris Thorndike. All right, guys, we're back with Chris from CrossFit Gainesville and Live Athletic. And the next question I wanted to dive into with you, Chris, was, um, you know, you've done the consulting stuff and you've been, you know, hands on as any entrepreneur has in the day to day with CrossFit Gainesville originally now Live Athletic. I want to talk about like what you learned from bouncing back, because I know there's times where you've been heavily focused on like helping other gym owners. Um, and consulting and then I know there's times where you're heavily focused on Live Athletic and CrossFit Gainesville and where what you learned by going through those shifts and uh, maybe what were some of the you know the key points for you some of those tough moments for you along the way yeah and this is um, probably one of the most interesting questions for me because it really is a journey and there was times just like, you know, most business owners are like, man, should I just quit? Like, this is just so stressful and it feels like we're never going to get to a place, you know, that we're satisfied. And I remember one of those first moments where uh, my wife or my girlfriend at the time, Steph, um, and I've been dating a while. So when we, she was down in South Florida and I was up here and it got to a place where we're like, what are we doing with our relationship? Right. And um, I had an opportunity where my team was built well. Um, my brother was managing and part owner of the company at the time. We had a, a great um, manager and head coach and then a full staff. And I said, hey, you know, I want to I wanna go to South Florida and work on my personal relationship and, you know, build that next step in my life. And keep in mind, like back then I'm 24 years old or something. Uh so it was an ask, and they're like, go. So that was the first point in time where I'm like, wow, I can just go. Like, think about that for a second as an owner, just to literally leave everything that you've built, all the tasks, all of the uh, hard work that went into it, but know that it's going to be ran, and you're going to continue to get paid. And it was kind of a surreal feeling for me to go on this journey um, and at the time, keep keep in mind, I was consulting, so I did have, you know, um, work that was happening, income that was coming in. So I I didn't just like fly by the seat of my pants and figure it out. Um, but that was a first real moment where a sense of team, right? Like you can count on people, you can depend on them, you know that they got it, and there's a sense of confidence that. Um, I now look for in how I move forward and I relate it largely to that major moment in my life and that's largely what allowed me to have the relationship in life I have now because that's what 
was the foundation of my relationship with my wife now. You know, that was the starting place of let's figure it out. I'm going to be present. I know that for a fact. And then all the other business stuff, we'll just we'll work it out. We'll figure it out when we get together. And uh, that was a really cool moment for me. And well, now you're back here. So, so clearly that changed, right, at some point? So something about that. Um, one of the, the, the hardest things about growth and doing that from afar is that you have to learn this skill set of working through people. And we talked about building skills, and, and that's probably the most difficult one for me that I, I think of because I was forced to do it. I had to find a way. And I was like, I was convinced I could do this. So one of the first things that we did uh, was we built an online uh, coaches development program. And I knew that we were going to lose coaches. It was inevitable. It's kind of a cycle of in the gym industry where you know you're lucky to retain you know people for two to three years um and i knew that was going to happen natural process so i was able to take years of experience and skill sets and try to form them into a course and with the intention of training people from afar so i would drive up once a month and be a part of the community check in and meanwhile i'm doing online calls with my team and whatnot but that was my first attempt in really systematizing something from afar and trying to get that momentum and that execution through people. So uh, that was a big moment for me in my life and that was what catapulted, I think, this desire to become really lean and efficient through technology. And then what, what brought you back to the day-to-day? Why'd you guys come back? Um, long story there. Uh, my wife also has um, a career in fitness. She at the time was down there owning and operating a, a, a facility as well in the, in the fitness industry. So uh, it got to a point where again, like this natural ebb and flow of life, like are we really gonna compete and run two different gyms and two different you know facilities? What do we want? So it was that moment of, all right, well, I'm not entirely happy and satisfied with what I'm doing um, you know, we could sell that location down there. You know, would you consider moving up to Gainesville? And at the time, we did have a major stretch um, and challenge up in Gainesville. One of my brother wanted out of the business. My manager um, did not have the same core values as I did at the time, and that ended up in having him fired. So it created this need, almost like pulling me back in. And although it was two years down there in South Florida and operations, you know, were great and revenues were strong, it just so happens like life changed and we were presented with this problem of saying, what do we do? So one of that um, kind of new adventures and journeys we wanted to go on is like, let's, it's time to rebrand. There was like this natural shift in our life that said, let's create something on our terms and pool our edu- you know, education, our experience, and say, let's do it differently. And then Live was kind of created from there, and it began the process of transforming the building and the brand and all of the steps to give it this you know, unique identity without losing, you know, say, a sense of where that place started from. Because that's also a very uh, challenging moment in my life to feel like, everything that inside this facility that people identified with 
and now you're saying it's something different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I want to touch on one thing, which you told me be, uh, prior when we were talking, which was part of the rebrand was to set this new direction, but then part of it was to give Stephanie some ownership, not just over the, you know, on the business side, but ownership of this new direction as well, rather than feeling like she was stepping into your product and your baby and I thought that was really cool I thought that was a unique way to approach it from again more of this holistic view which you've talked about several times of it's not just about the business it's it's all these things that you're trying to get better at at once in your relationships in your personal life so I thought that that part was really really cool um, can you talk about other stuff in regards to working with your brother and working with Stephanie and and challenges and how, how did you know with your brother that it was time to kind of end things there yeah um, I'll kind of start with the uh, restructuring the company I'll circle back around to my brother and um, I think for for me knowing that Steph um, sold her company and equally was vested in this as a career a skill set and experience we've been in the fitness industry the same amount of time so I knew it was actually a better deal for me than probably her because she's just incredible with running and managing facilities. And I know that she wouldn't accept anything less than um, that feeling as an owner and what comes along with that. And I wouldn't um, necessarily be able to do everything that I wanted to do by myself. So it was really good fit where I know how she operates and is deserving of the opportunity to become a partner. And she also had the sweat equity, the financial ability to do it. And um, that's what kind of allowed us to be on the same page and equals in a sense, because I talked to you about this challenge of, um, I didn't want that feeling for her to feel like it's run, she's running my company, right? Like we're, building this life together. She sold um, out of her partnership and company to, I guess, do the opposite or the same thing that I did. I moved down there for a period of time and then she was coming back up here uh, to Gainesville. So it was kind of just building this relationship and this business was really something we both cared about and loved. And it was cool to see that come together. And um, I think for a lot of owners, like there's a sense of pride in ownership and uh, purpose. And I know that's what drives her too. She's very much an achiever and she wants that. Cool. And um, then your brother. Yeah. So um, we've always had a challenging relationship. I think just our upbringing didn't really set us up to communicate well. And uh, putting us in that business, uh, was, we were destined for friction. Um, we fought it out. And we had ups and downs, and I think that looking back in hindsight, we didn't do a great job identifying our skills and our interests and our abilities and then dividing those lines and saying, here's your role, here's my role, let's stay on that. We got a little into that as um, the tail end of our partnership, um, and things did progress and get better. But for him, um, I think he was just burned out with the, the lifestyle or the interest long-term to do this beyond. Uh, I think at that time we were uh, probably six, seven years into it. Mm -hmm. um, so it was time for him. And I just knew at 12 years old, man, I'm like, 
I'm running the gym or having some impact and influence on fitness for the rest of my life. Like it just was in me. Um, so I knew I wanted the company and uh, we worked out a deal there. It was probably one of the most stressful times of my life to um, look back on. And I also think I had pride in buying that and feeling like, uh, you know, 100% owner for a short period of time until, you know, Steph and I uh, uh, restructured it again. But I think that taught me that family and business are extremely challenging because I compare that to my partnership with John and it's Mm -hmm. completely different. Like there's a certain communication and respect and things that you do and say with family that you don't with um, other colleagues. Yeah. And it's really interesting how that happens. And I think you don't even realize it. And if you do catch yourself, it feels different too because you have all these childhood memories, right? And you like, it's just different. And it's hard to even compare uh, the work environment. Um, But gradually as I I got older and more into uh, team development and building out uh, roles and responsibilities and structure, that practice could have done a lot for us. And uh, we missed that opportunity. I think we, it was just not a part of our journey together. And looking back, I think that's why I value it so much. Because I, I feel like had we had that, where would we be? You know? yeah. And we were super young. And, that, and <laughs> it like has me excited to think about that. But at the same time, it's some of those hardest lessons are my biggest uh, lessons for my affiliate owners and clients and why we drill it into you know the two companies that we have. Of the gyms that you work with, how many of them that are in partnerships, how many of them are in a partnership that just needs to be better, could be better in terms of, you know, they need to have more clearly defined roles and responsibilities. They need to make sure they're doing their owner's meeting once a week and on the same page with some of the stuff we talked about in the last episode regarding traction versus they're not good fits for each other and they need to part ways. Like how often do you see those two being the case? It's hard to say, but I think it's easier to recognize when you get into that situation. And what's interesting about consulting and um, mentorship with companies is that you can at least see a healthy team when both partners are on the same page, whether it's husband or wife or just a general partnership, when they agree that bringing a consultant in is a good idea or a mentor. And you'll see often in poor partnerships, you're not on the same page. So even a simple decision to get help where one partner doesn't agree or doesn't want it and the other does, that is a a red flag. Um, And also in how you make decisions, and you mentioned this with even your partnership with your brother, like just coming up with ideas. And if you're stumbling together with like, this is a good idea and this is a good idea, but you can't settle on, hey, a compromise, and there's always that level of friction, I think that can be a challenging partnership because it almost feels like you need momentum or a next step to get it into action and actually make it a reality. And if you're getting hung up on some of those early uh, happenings as a partnership, it's gonna be difficult for you guys to rapidly solve issues and problems. And you're always gonna be in the state of almost feeling like confrontational with Mm -hmm. everything. So it should feel light. It should feel progressive. It should feel 
um, like there is momentum in, in gas in the company. And in, if you walk into your business and you don't want to show up in the parking lot because that other person's car there, uh, if you walk into a meeting and feel like it's got this awkward or uncomfortable vibe meeting after meeting, there is a discussion that needs to be had. And it needs possibly be a full out like get in the same room and just let it all out. And if that never happens, just think of that like bottled up, like mm-hmm. a like a ticking time bomb. And that's not a healthy relationship. It doesn't work in a personal relationship. It doesn't work in a partnership. And the two are very similar. One of the things that I kind of pride myself on and I think uh, we've overcome as a husband and wife team is that we didn't recognize that some of the simplest solutions um, created some of the most just impactful relationship uh, improvements. And it's as simple as don't talk about work at home, but find a place and a time to talk about work. Yeah. Once a week or whatever your threshold is for needing to talk about it, and if you're partners, um, but but creating that place and that safe um, environment to be actual partners. And then protecting uh, the relationship and that personal uh, side equally. And knowing that you can't just plow through that for the sake of sales are low or we're having a complication with an employee. And pretty soon, you know, this is, um, there's a similar context to this with employees that I see. When a member goes um, from, you know, two to three year member and then all of a sudden they make it on your coaching team, there's a line they cross, right? They become an employee. And that should mean something and it, and it has a standard and a professionalism to it. And it's very clear with young companies that if there's not those boundaries set and understanding, it makes it really difficult for that person to adapt into that position and manage those friendships that they have as a member and also to command the respect from those people that they're close with inside membership. So it can be a very challenging role. And that part of the business carries over also as owners where if you're bringing work home all the time, right? And uh, it's literally creating a new relationship. So what I often hear is with if you don't have that safe place and recognize that there is a transition and they're almost like two different hats, like you got the friend hat and then mm-hmm. you got the coach hat, it's the same thing. You've got the the marriage and then you've got the partnership if you're in that, that boat. And if you don't separate them, I really believe that it's going to be difficult to communicate and understand, wait, which hat am I wearing? And you can have massive blow-ups or carry some personal stuff over to the business and then it just trickles down. So I think that was a, a great piece that I try to pass on for uh, couples that work together is let's find a designated place to talk business and get it out of the house. Don't do it at, at home typically. And then create that place to just listen and to um, ask the questions and say, you know, one of the practices is like, what, what issues are you dealing with? Whether it is personal or business related, but let that person get them out and then from there you can discuss. But without it, you're just bottling everything up. And it's gonna manifest in some form and it may have nothing to do 
with a personal issue and, and it's just a trickle over from the business because there's no outlet to talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think so many people are adverse to that, especially in relationships. People are willing to, a lot of people are willing to do it with their business. They're, they sound, they hear something about, hey, we should have an owner meeting once a week and they'll implement something that with the relationship, they're a little bit more weary to do that. And I think people are afraid to put structure in a relationship. I don't want to make it not fun anymore. I don't want to treat it like it's a business and like they want this spontaneity to like just happen. But, you know, as you and I know, like if you want results in any area, you have to make things clear, whether that's a date night, whether that's creating a separate time where you have you know, a business discussion with your spouse because you also work with them. And if you don't have those things defined, you know, it's you every Sunday, you're spending time with Steph working on like a creative project together, right? Right. Or let me define the time that we're not gonna be spending with each other. I'm gonna, every Saturday morning is gonna be my time to shoot on my own and we're gonna be respectful of that and give each other that time. And I think the more things you can define, for those little spaces in between those times, they're gonna be better quality times together. And then those other times you have an expectation of what's gonna happen. I think that's the big thing is just um, being clear with the expectations. Like how many people, friends or personal, um, if you said, hey, I'm really busy right now, I just need an hour um, and then we can go to lunch or then we can go do this. Like had that been said before <laughs> anything, like that would probably resolve a lot. But what happens is sometimes we try to force two things to happen because we we feel very passionate and uh, they're both important to us. But what we end up doing is leaving someone hanging and they can't make decisions or plans for themselves. And that becomes challenging. So I think that managing people's expectations is really important. And I think you hit it on the head. It's like there is very clear boundaries and expectations when it comes to business because it seems to be the standard. But when you mix personal relationship, it will do more harm than good to not um, put as much weight just because you think that person will always be there for you or that they're so easily willing to compromise. I think you really have to fight in a partnership with a significant other for your personal time more than most. Mm -hmm. And because pretty soon, next thing you know, like you're bringing a laptop home and you guys are you know, at dinner or on your phones and looking at, you know, uh, groups or emails and you're present, but you're not present, right? Like you're there physically, but you're not actually spending time together. And I hear that story countless times, like people bring home the laptop to do programming and they're sitting on the couch with their sitting for another, but you're not spending time together. Mm -hmm. You're not talking about your day or your issues and feeling connected. And I can say that because I've been there and I've done that and it, it radically sacrificed things in my life that were important to us and we got off track. And I think that's important to recognize that if that is happening, I don't think that's a sustainable um, way to live as owner and uh, partners. Um, so if I could pass on anything, leaving, uh, in addition to that, leaving work at work oh, yeah. was one of the hardest things for me to adapt because my mind is racing on business. We talked about this where like we could, we've probably been talking for hours now <laughs> and it like where if you got that business bug, you just want to talk business. Yeah. And for me, if I can compartmentalize and know that, all right, um, I have set office hours in my house. Uh, I have set schedule at the gym, say 
when I'm home, I got to be home. And John and I put this kind of, uh, yeah, this is, we'll call it a company policy. When I pull into the driveway or he pulls in the driveway, it's, hey, Chris, I got to get a phone. I just got home. And it's no questions asked. It's kids. It's family time. And we'll pick it up tomorrow. So it's just, we knew that, uh, and that wasn't by just uh, what I'd say, not having conflict. It was, man, I'm really struggling to connect with my wife or my family and give my attention to my kids. We can't be on the phone like this. And it was just that home life radically improved, that relationship radically improved. And it took creating boundaries. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. I mean, we're in your home right now, but this is clearly a dedicated space this is your office you're not bringing that computer to sit with you on the couch i mean you do like big things your dog is massive so maybe you do sit with the kids on the couch with the computer on your lap but um but yeah i mean i can clearly see the defined boundaries even within your house of how you set this up and i think there's there's this false desire to want to get to the point where you can work anywhere at any time and I've found that as I've become more successful, I'm actually creating more boundaries. And I, I've, I don't leave the gym. You know, I, I work in the offices upstairs at the gym um, because I don't have a great home space. Mm. Um, I still could be better about what I bring at home with me. But I know for for me, it's like okay, you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna be working all through the middle of the day. Whereas before, I'd let myself run an errand or I do something else. It's like I'm gonna be working and I'm gonna be physically at the gym. And as long as I'm there and I'm like with my power list, I have like a priority list each day, like good stuff is going to happen. You know, it's putting yourself in that environment. When you take yourself out, you never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I I think it's important to recognize, too, where in order to be productive, you have to be responsive. You have to have a routine. And when we travel or go on vacation, too, it's like knowing going into that, that I'm going to work an hour or two in the morning or it allows my wife to sleep in or something like that where I might have a different pace in how I recharge and I prefer to feel like I've got momentum behind certain projects so as long as I've managed expectations all things go pretty well so you're the same way as I am whereas even on your vacation you still want to do like one to two hours of productive work to start your day or you want to have your workout still to start the day like I feel like I still need that really good morning or else I can't relax the rest of the day. Yeah, it, it, it really has to do with um, a few days. Like I might be able to go two days yeah. with not really having um, like sit down in front of a laptop kind of work. But like Steph will tell you, if, if we're on a car rider, like we're talking business, we're talking life, and we're talking like something that is useful. We like, you know, kind of focusing on that. Um, and she's kind of more the scheduler in her life, so she loves having like activities or uh, certain things planned. So it allows me to kind of like, all right, uh, I'll go do whatever activity you know that we like. But it, it at least fills in the schedule with a good balance of work and fun. You know, nice. Um, so I want to circle back to um, the bouncing back and forth between uh, when you moved to back to Palm Beach Gardens and. Um, we're away from the gym and you had to acquire the skill of working through other people. Do you recommend gym owners purposely take time away from their business like that to learn these certain skills or how can, how can people develop skills that's, that's taking them outside of the day to day? 
Yeah, I, I feel like this is the, um, like a, a dream to feel like this thing operates uh, always and with little work or uh, involvement of owners. And I don't believe that that actually is the case with our style of business. Just the model in general. The model requires leadership and it also uh, requires a physical presence to be able to build relationships, right? Like I know that you can shoot videos and content and you know engage with people online, but it's not the same. And uh, there's a certain presence that is needed. So I'll start with that being, I did this and um, it was really important to me to be able to build this relationship and, and work towards that with Steph. And also I had a solid foundation. I mean, I took, at this point in my life, it was, we were already in business for four, four over four years. And I had a developed team that we had worked with for years. I had that confidence is what I, I'm trying to say is everything that was buttoned up from a day-to-day -day standpoint, I knew that it was already running smoothly to even give me the opportunity to uh, ask for that. Um, so that was, I think, an important piece where unless that foundation is built and that those processes, that relationship within your team, uh, I don't think you can even consider stepping away. Um, I do think that within reason, though, um, building an idea or a dream of what your ideal schedule as an owner looks like uh, is probably the next step that most people need to consider if you're feeling overworked or overwhelmed. We should probably pause because he's gonna mess this thing up. Oh no, it's fine. He's no? good. Yeah, okay. we keep going. Um, <laughs> Stanley's really excited <laughs> and uh, he wants to be a part of the podcast. So I, I think that piece is important to dream where, you know, we talked about this early on where you are the business early on, right? So you're working a ton of hours, you got behind the scene hours or admin, so it's not just the 15 to 20 hours, maybe you're working on the floor and then you're doing home stuff, but sooner or later as employees come along and you start that process of essentially buying your time back, you're looking for how much of that balance is recharge time, but also what is the highest and best use of my time as an owner as you pull yourself, I think, off that floor. Um, and then as you kind of continue to back out of some of these roles and responsibilities, you're one, searching for more efficient ways to do things. If you're pulling yourself out for the sake of sitting on the couch <laughs> or taking more vacation time, I think it's gonna bite you in the ass because that's not necessarily going to profoundly impact the lives of your team or make them feel like they have a mentor or someone pushing and driving them. And over time, people leave organizations because they don't have leadership or guidance. And uh, so we have to be a very active role within the company. Um, and it starts with understanding, well, where do I fit within that org chart? And uh, do my does my team actually identify with, if I'm not there, what is Chris doing? Like, yeah. Is he actually working on stuff? Uh, what is that stuff? How is that impacting me? Um, because if they think the opposite, Andrew is at home sitting on the couch napping and uh, I'm here all day long or I'm doing this stuff, that adds up. So there's a lot in that within um, 
just adding that type of organization. So I do want people to dream up that ideal lifestyle. And for some people, like I have an owner that takes two months off and uh, he travels to uh, where his family is. And it's, it's really cool to see that he can do that. Um, it's awesome to see him hit his highest revenues and be able to do that, uh, to grow his family through doing that. So with the right structure and the right understanding and expectations, not just from owner to owner or owner to spouse, but owner to team, it works the same way. And it can be built, but it has to be very clear in how it's gonna work. And then that's that release I see in the owner, like it's almost like permission to leave, permission to take a vacation mm -hmm. and feel like the whole thing's not gonna fall apart. But it was built on a foundation of this is how we do things, demonstrate how we do things if you're gonna delegate, and then ensure that they can do them through, maybe it starts with um, a day off where you don't come into the office or you come in later and check in with them. Then it starts with weekends. And then it starts with you know a full, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're back. So it's like a building process that I built up to that eventually I could stretch that duration because we had a process in place for communicating outside of like one-to-one. -one. Yeah. Yeah. What's something within uh, Live Athletic that you're working on today? What's like a key project or what's something that you're just really excited about in the somewhat short-term future? Um. <laughs> Honestly, branding. Um, I'm excited right now about um, communicating uh, and defining the culture. So a practice that I just did was I actually asked my community, I'm like, what's our ethos? What do we stand for? What is this feeling that you get when you walk through the doors? And how, did you, how did you ask that? Uh, in our private group, and I said, I had to define what ethos is, and I shot a video, and... Um, I asked them to be a part of this because I felt like, is it my job to put a label on it, especially after 11 years? Um, or is an ethos, is a who we are, a group uh, influence? And I think it's a part of the group. So it was fascinating to see what members felt being a part of this. Um, and it was really helpful. So ultimately, I have to make that decision and, and clearly articulate that. But it was the help and uh, insight that they gave that helped me form who we are. I like that. I, I could see that as a really cool first step in a rebranding process as well of potentially coming up with a name and, and the new direction is, is starting with what are the feelings people are already getting out of your company and your product. I think it's an important lesson too where asking for help. Like as an owner, that's difficult because it's almost, I don't know if this is a a false belief like we're supposed to have all the answers or if you've never ran a business before like you just figure it out yeah but there's a lot to be said where if you just asked your employee or the member who had a hard day like why they were leaving or is there anything we could do differently to you know keep you here you'd probably get a much different uh, result not in all cases but there's a lot to be said about just slowing the process down of actually making a decision and just gathering a, gathering a little bit more of the information or options. Yeah, I love it. Um, who do you, who coaches you? So you, I think you mentioned you have a traction coach and then another coach as well. Um, who do you look for for coaching and mentorship? Yeah, so we work with an EOS um, 
uh, implementer. His name's Justin. Um, and is he a business owner, or what? What's his? Uh, he just works through EOS. Yeah. So much like how I grew up, um, you know, to be a mentor and, and business coach, um, he has a background in experience and scaling and uh, some of the attributes that he's bringing to the table are from his personal experience in a business ownership. So he was a previous business owner, um, got involved in EOS and could bring to life uh, the practices and the accountability and uh, he does it really well for us. So often, you know, business mentors and, you know, coaches are more or less like guides, right? Um, And the way I look at business now largely is different than working in the business where I don't necessarily need to be so much of the technician and know like the day-to-days but more of the uh, steps and milestones to building companies tend to have more principle base. So I find that having someone understands what those milestones are and making sure that those are realistic is equally as important to someone inside the company knowing how specifically to do something. But I don't find that he needs to understand how to run a gym to really hold us accountable to the goals and objectives that we're setting. Yeah, I found that in in a lot of cases, it's good to have both. It's good to have people that are like in the grind with you. And then there's good to, it's good to have people that are really distant, maybe from another industry, maybe someone who's sold a gym and is kind of on the higher level now. Those different perspectives can kind of balance each other out. Um, because if you have so, someone that's so involved in the day-to-day, it can be good for relating, but it doesn't necessarily pull you out of your current level of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and, and where I research a lot, too, is um, other industry experts because the way that I look at the market or the model um, that we're kind of constantly trying to build or work on, um, this industry is relatively new right? Like from a grand scheme of things, um, in the CrossFit affiliate world, this type of business and running is newer. The fitness industry, uh, is massive. Yeah. So there's so many other areas that we can pull off of, um, and try and bring into these functional training facilities. And that's important to recognize too, where if you get stuck only operating or running one revenue stream or doing the same thing over and over again, it could kill you in terms of your business and even just pound your head against the wall saying it's not moving. Mm -hmm. And I think I told you this where I I think I've gone through about three business cycles is how I would see it in over the last 11 years. And it's a constant shift in how um, these things are becoming more efficient, becoming uh, more developed and profitable. And it takes that understanding of what's happening on a grand or global scale to make sure that the business is moving forward and progressing. Because if you're stuck or stagnant in a few years, that's one thing. It could be employee related or you're becoming a manager for the first time and trying to figure that out. Or it could be like your pricing and your offer and your membership and your actual happenings on the floor just haven't been minded and paid attention to and you're just trying to do the same thing over again. So I think it's important that we're always reading, we're always listening to podcasts, we're always researching, and then what I've found valuable about coaching and mentorship is the accountability part, 
right? And we have to recognize that our responsibility is to our employees for in terms of accountability and mentorship. Theirs is equal to our clients. And then who is taking care of our accountability and, and uh, personal mentorship? I think every successful business has that. And there's no way to know all and be all. And some people probably have a great network of just being able to call people up and ask, whereas others, they need someone to check in, be there for them, and kind of push back or be a sounding board. Nice. What What are some of your favorite books or resources? You already gave us some podcasts in the last episode. What are some of your favorite ones that you recommend first for gym owners? Yeah. Um, I think E-Myth was really influential um, on me from an early reading standpoint. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People really resonated with me. I always found that um, connecting with people and understanding pe- people's uh, first impression is wildly successful in, in our service industry. Mm-hmm. And I often hear from owners, one of the hardest things is finding talented coaches with personality, with that people skill. And it's some would argue that it's difficult to even teach that, but they can teach just about anyone to become qualified to teach a squat yeah. or a clean, right? Um, so I like those two books for the systemization of the actual business and then two, um, blending that with, hey, there's a real human element here that we need to be paying attention to, right? Um, as of late, what I'm studying and, and learning a lot on, and this is where I feel like the industry is going, is there's a lot of companies out there that are struggling performance-wise because they have people under them and employees that are just like craving leadership and mentorship. And that skill set is just not developed yet. It's not strong. So they're just kind of flopping around and they look like a team, but what's happening underneath all that, um, there's something, something off. So I've been studying heavily in that area of action uh, steps and actual things to do to resolve those. So Five Dysfunctions of a Team is one of our mm-hmm. early books for our coaching team to get a hold of. Um, I think EOS is really important to continue to follow. There's uh, this book in front of me, How to Be a Great Boss. I actually sent to those out to my uh, mastery uh, mentoring group. And then... Uh, What's big right now for me on the service side, uh, there's one, Never Lose a Customer Again, has been influential about breaking it, breaking the service process down, um, but also reframing that to saying, hey, service actually starts from the moment that we're putting our brand or an advertisement in front of someone all the way through fulfillment. Um, so that was a, a great mind shift to say, hey, it's not so uh, divided. You know, service can be marketing. And for those of you guys out there that really stay away from marketing or sales, I try to reframe and look at it as just an extension of service. And that's when I think people will get this feeling where you're not selling, you're serving. And even though you're asking for someone to take you up on an offer, you're still serving them with options and guidance and recommendation and advising them what to do. And that's how I think you can tackle some of those fears of saying, hey, I'm not a good salesperson. I'll never be able to sell you know, memberships and speak confidently. So that was a great 
great read. Nice. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the marketing piece. And this is something that I wanted to ask personally, which is like, you know, with, with your own gym and the gyms that you work with, how much of your focus do you put onto what I would consider like internal marketing, which is like retention and referrals and like focusing on the people that you already have to build that community and find more like-minded people versus the external piece. And obviously every gym needs some combination of both. Right. But do you think, I mean, I kind of feel like our industry has shifted huge towards the external marketing with six week challenges and new you and all these things that have popped up and people are forgetting to, I mean, part of it's what you're talking about delivering a better service um, and thinking about it that way. But like, I think there's a, you could literally tap into the pool of people you already have to create internal uh, marketing initiatives and generate more people like them. Yeah, the way I look at it is it, it's more systematic. It's more of like an ecosystem of all these things have to happen. Um, kind of like music, they're like, they should blend together and sound really good and perform well. Um, and in building businesses, they just kind of come online at one time. And then the, the goal is to stack them so that they keep happening in unison and you don't drop them from happening because there's a certain um, realization I think uh, a new client had that said it really well was I try to take what's happening inside our community and I try to present that in the form of marketing in, a, in our message and it just goes nowhere and the truth is is like the people inside your community have essentially a new identity Right? They've transformed into this healthy, living, um, you know, focused person with a new priority on taking care of themselves. And if you try to speak that language outside of this internal uh, community and you present that externally, it's the wrong message. And um, another way of looking at that is I've heard terms like, you know, this is kind of the fishing analogy, but it's the wrong bait. Like and, and they're not going to bite at that because they don't understand that life because they have not transformed into that thinking. And that's why it's really tough to say, I want more people like this. Well, the truth is I feel like we have to build them. Mm-hmm. We literally have to bring them into uh, an offer using their terminology, using their mindset, and meet them where they're at. And then it's through this enrollment opportunity is where we get to help them understand what the end result of our programs will allow them to look like and feel and be like. And that's the transformation. And then they end up in that bucket or that pool of community of saying, this is who I am. So they go through this you know, process essentially of saying, I want to become this person. And then they're saying, well, I... Uh, am willing myself to become that person and then they say I am this person right yeah so that so that's basically why I want to throw up when I look at these six week challenge ads and you know I can't I'm so far into this thing that I can't relate to that front end person yeah. or at least not the same way that's why you feel right. awkward and that's probably why many affiliate owners say like I'll never do that or I want to rewrite the ad and have it sound like my internal community it's because mm-hmm. it's who they identify with but when more often than not, when they try to do that, it doesn't work. It's because that is an internal message and an internal, we'll call it like language, trying to speak to people that don't speak that language. 
So yeah. that's an important um, lesson that the moment you can really look at that and say, hey, I need to attract these people so I can influence and change their perspective because what they're doing right now is not working. Otherwise, they'd be successful in a part of, you know, whatever uh, end result or, uh, you know, goal they have for themselves, they'd already be there. And we're in the business of helping people that are not where they want to be. So that was an important internal, external realization. And then I think uh, to answer your question further, yeah, like when you grow um, and you take on clients early on, you'll notice that um, there may not be a substantial need to seek out external marketing because you're enrolling people slowly, you're building your membership, and over time, people run out of friends to refer, especially if you're really good at servicing them and you keep them long-term, like you'll grow to a certain point. But then there's this you know, metric called churn and turnover, and all of a sudden, you have to compete with replacing people inside your community with new people. And if that referral aspect is not exceeding the amount of people leaving, you're not gonna grow, right? So we start looking at it from two different levels. I think new people need to come in, um, it's a given, and uh, referrals are a natural part of growth as well. It means that your service is working, it means that people are happy, and if you're not getting referrals, that's also a flag, right? Yeah. Um, but what I think you're getting at is, well, how do we stimulate that more? How do we create uh, more of those two things happening? Yeah. And the reason why I mentioned it's kind of like music is like year-round, this should work uh, in unison where a layer or thread of this is uh, we have campaigns internal, we have campaigns external. So you mentioned the six week, right? Like So six weeks is a reasonable amount of time for someone to get an ROI. It has nothing to do with the marketing terminology of a challenge, a boot camp, uh, keto you know fat loss a muscle yeah. gain whatever call it's it funny because like knowing you i would think if anybody was against like six week stuff it would be you because you have such this long-term approach but you understand the value of meeting this person where they're at and getting them to commit for a certain period of time to then be able to build on that well yeah and uh, it's it's also recognizing that how relationships are built right like before someone's going to invest in years with you, you have to start the relationship and it first starts with an introduction. And then uh, how long does it take for someone to trust you and um, be around you and feel like you're actually advising them based on their well-being, right? So yeah, there's a lot of uh, programs out there that people are like, I want the pill or I want the easy way. And they've tried that and failed. So they have this scar of being like, I'm not going to commit to you for a year. Like, how do I know it's going to work? And we have to, one part, meet them where they're at. So I, the six-week term, like I said, it, it, we've done 12 weeks. We've done six months, a year. Like, that's irrelevant when it comes to what we're talking about. We're talking about how do we build trust and, and prove that we're of value to this person in a reasonable amount of time before they say, hey, this is not working. Right, and that's why I say focus on the end result. In fitness, it's often that we can capture people's attention and keep them focused for about six weeks. Can you push that threshold? Absolutely, 
But if you manage the expectations up front for brand new people coming in, I think six weeks is a great way to prove yourself, prove your program, get that initial result, ask for a next longer term commitment, or at least manage their expectations of that next result that they want, how long is it gonna take, right? So then internally, since we're talking about campaigns, six weeks long, the same thing can be said uh, when we promote internally. I look at a calendar year and say, well, how often are we actually asking for member referrals? Like coming out and asking for members to bring new members in. And often that's where most gyms are failing. They just don't ask. Um, whether that's with new members coming in and simply saying, hey, do you know a friend or a family member that would love to get started you know, alongside of you? You know, that could be a simple add-in for the enrollment appointment or actually having campaigns that are fun and exciting for people to bring friends in. You know, a lot of people do buddy days or bring a friend days. A lot of that is just getting the first or second touch point where they know, like, and trust that this is the place where my friend or family member comes. Like, that's one step. But do you, do you have a favorite way to ask, to ask for referrals? Like, yeah. um in your gym and other gyms? Yeah, I love um, having people bring uh, friends in for buddy days. I'm not saying that that is a high performing uh, way to convert because that is just simply the first step in building mm -hmm. relationships. But I love um, like campaigns, challenges, um, Goals, essentially, is what I'm saying. Like, where do we want to take this group of people? So whether it's nutrition-focused or whether it's fun and uh, challenge-focused, like we do this thing called bingo, which is a great way to too. just challenge them, right, and get them to do. So, like, part of bingo, let's just talk about that. Um, inside these boxes, and they're trying to check them off, can be writing reviews, can be submitting a video testimonial, can be bring a friend to a class for the first time, mm -hmm. right? Like they want to compete and be competitive when they get inside our inner communities and that's a great way to allow them to help and bring people in for the sake of something that they wanna finish or complete. So yeah. that's one way of doing it. Um, but there's so many ways to structure campaigns. We have a golden ticket campaign, we have a nutrition campaign, um, I think I stole all this stuff from you. Yeah, we do bingo, we do golden ticket. Well, I mean that's why yeah. it's out there, right? Like, yeah. and it's all nobody really creates something radically new nowadays. Like, and that's why I love learning and talking about this stuff because if it's going to help and influence someone out there, and I've already solved this, or someone helped me, you know, by giving me this perspective, like that's what we're trying to do. Because otherwise, in a global part of our industry, if we don't learn fast and understand how to do marketing, how to do sales, how to do service, how to do team operations. Um, we're not going to make it as a um, niche industry, right? Like I, one of the things that I'll bring up that I don't know if you guys are thinking about out there, but this whole concept of Peloton, right? Like it is a massive disruption in the market when this concept of removing brick and mortar getting rid of all the expense of having people come in and then just putting an amazing coach in front of a, I don't know, in a camera, a phone, whatever they're on, and say all of a sudden, you've got a coach right in front of you, right? And, and that is their message to be able to offer 
you know, the programming, the experience of group class, uh, the instruction, and that can be scary to look at from, you know, a standpoint. Definitely. Um, yeah, if I, if I was a spin studio, I would really, really be concerned. I think I'm a little less concerned in terms of what we do, mainly because the way I try to look at this, I talked to uh, Stu Brower about this. He, he, he always talks about being different. Mm-hmm. And I like to think about, rather than being different, how can we be timeless? What will never go out of style? So we might not be, we might not be the orange theory that goes from zero to you know however many 15,000 locations in a couple years. But if I'm trying to just have one really good location, I don't need that, right? So how can I think about this? What are people, regardless of what new technology comes out, what are people always gonna need, right? They're always gonna need if they want to get better at stuff and do it safely, they're always need some version of hands-on coaching. If they're going to be doing the functional movements that we do, right? Your Peloton, you're on a bike, you're cycling in one spot. It's hard to mess that up. You start doing kettlebell swings or even thrusters or something. Those aren't the worst movements we do, but that takes a lot of coaching. The second thing is a social element of that. You need some element. You don't need it, but most people, I think, I think that's the number one thing we're providing is that culture of like-minded people that want to prioritize their health and fitness and they have this growth mindset i think that's the biggest timeless piece that we have to offer is that social aspect so i'm trying to think about it that way and i think also it's it's good to think about how can you differentiate yourself as well but that's that's my maybe it's just something i tell myself to make myself feel better about it but that's where i'm trying to move in terms of my thinking rather than the differentiation or trying to be a part of these trends yeah and and it can go negatively too if you just try to be different that also doesn't mean that you're focused right and just to be different uh in the market isn't enough is what you're saying where you do have to have um you know both essentially uh something that i realized too is like when you enroll into this methodology of functional fitness we as a group in a community have to recognize we're limiting our profitability, right? Like, so we know that going into the CrossFit and you compare to these franchises, like the F45 is taking on a big movement Mm -hmm. into the US now, Orange Theory, they have perfected the single program, single class, max out the number of people in there for a profit margin, right? And the moment you add a barbell, you limit what? Your space. Oh my God, tremendously. So that is really important where if you're trying to compete with them it's not the same model and the more we add into the service in terms of complexity where it's like i want to meet with all my members or i want to do this like a lot of owners are not charging for that time and in a 200 dollars membership scheme like uh let's just use that as an example like that is not expensive and if you try to meet with each member or you add all these different activities in and events, uh, it's not expensive, right? Like yeah. the, the market is also adjusting to prioritizing health and fitness. And I actually see it as helpful where some of these companies are coming in because Peloton's not um, cheap as well, I would say. Like yeah. they try to sell it as you can replace your gym, I think in a year or something. But Yeah, we have a couple members that have Pelotons that still continue to come to the gym. And I think you touched on the important part where um, I would add, it's not just about 
say uh, the differentiation, you also have to have focus. You have to have clarity of who you serve. And that's what also creates that separation, I would say, is if you know your ideal client, you know who to repel and who to attract. And if we can stay valuable to that group of people, that's how we're going to sustain a lot of this too. And you mentioned this human element, right? Like coaching. Coaching implies feedback. Where Peloton, you're getting instruction. Instruction isn't always... uh, They might be able to do demos and highlight a person, Mm -hmm. but that's not personal or feedback-specific to our people. So I think you're right in that sense where you look at... uh, I just listened to a podcast. I think it was uh, Tim Ferriss on... Uh, Spin Cycle, which is a really oh, good podcast. Uh, uh, Soul Cycle. Soul Cycle. Sorry, yeah, it's yeah. really Soul good. Cycle. Um, well, she was saying what separates them, and she wasn't talking about the Peloton specifically, or at least I don't remember mm-hmm. if she did, but she was saying the energy of someone who's like, literally when they their business took off, it was when they added more bikes, and people were complaining at first that we were too close to the person next to them, but then they found that that was like the secret sauce, that being right on top of someone and feeling their energy was actually what pushed you and made it like this meditative experience that you came out like a different person versus just a good workout. Right. And and what I liked about that too is how much she spoke about member experience or that um, connection to uh, the community. And some of these other places, that's not the focus, right? It's not the culture. Um, it might be super fast workout. It might be you know, uh, safe fit, whatever their thing is, um, that's that uniqueness that I think is going to allow us to be different or separate ourselves in the market. But in order to be unique and different also means that we need to be focused. And who do we serve best? What is our skill set? What do we want? Those are all questions that have to be asked to get to that niche and then start to own that niche. And the more specific we can focus on, um, that's where I start to see we can be, you know, that moment where members can start to separate who we are versus some of the competitors and they can become marketers for us is because they know how to explain what we do and who we are. And that's when I think a mature brand has been really built is they can differentiate the products in the market. Awesome. I think we'll, we'll end on that. Um... Do you have anything to add? And if, if not, then uh, just tell us a little bit about like where we can find you and if people want to learn more about Factory Forge, where to go. Yeah. Um, first off, thanks for listening. And then if there's any questions, um, you know, they can uh, log on to our Art of a Profitable Gym uh, is where we produce content and, and share, you know, coaching. And uh, also, if you want to work with us or look into that, it's factoryforge.com forge slash call. Cool. And uh, hopefully you'll see more content from Chris. I was helping him set up a podcast today. So look out for the uh, Factory Forge podcast YouTube channel, hopefully coming soon. Yeah, man. Thanks, guys.